Wednesday. This is a single mom of purpose coming back. I know it's been a couple weeks, a few weeks <laughs> since I've been on to give you guys a new episode. Uh, so tonight we're actually going to go through three chapters. Okay, I'm going to jump around because all these three chapters are giving us some insight into the Bible. So I might as well just combine them into one podcast, okay, one episode, and just get right into it, okay? So if you've been listening to the past several episodes, I've been sharing out of a book titled The New Christian's Handbook, Everything Believers Need to Know by Max Anders. Um, Basically, this is like discipleship 101, you know, so when you're a new Christian, you want to know you know, what does that mean? What does that mean for my life? You know, what do I have to do? How am I supposed to um, be living at this time? You know, so it has so much that goes into it. I said, okay, what is the best way that I can help with this um, subject matter? Because I know when I became a new Christian, I had so many questions. Okay, what is this? What is that? What do I do? What changes, you know, so it's so much that goes into that subject matter. So I decided to get some books and share out of these books. And this is the first one that I'll be sharing out of. You know, there's a couple more that I have, but I've been sharing out of this one. And the last episode I did, I believe we ended in chapter 9. So we are going to be doing chapter 10, 11, and 12. So chapter 10... The title is, What is the Story of the Bible? Okay, and it gives us a chapter at a glance. So the chapter at a glance gives us four headings. And the first is, the Old Testament tells the story of God and Israel. The second is, God provided a temporary solution for sin, sacrifices. The third, the New Testament tells the story of Jesus and the church. And the fourth is, God provided a permanent solution for sin. And that was Jesus. Okay, so let's go right in to the first one. The Old Testament tells the story of God and Israel. So it says creation, patriarchs, exodus, kingdom, exile, and return. So I'll share some of each of those. So in creation, it says the story begins when God created Adam and Eve, who were the innocent first members of God's paradise. However, they sinned and as a result were driven out of the Garden of Eden. As their offspring multiplied into the millions, sin also multiplied and humanity became so sinful that God destroyed the earth with a universal flood. He preserved Noah and his immediate family to populate, I'm sorry, to repopulate the earth because they were the only people on earth willing to trust and obey God. Sin kept its hold over humanity. However, and once again, as a population increased, people forgot God. Okay, so in the Bible, if you start reading in Genesis, the book of Genesis, that's the first book in the Bible, you will begin to see the story of Adam and Eve, and it takes you into um, Noah and how everything happened, okay? So, patriarchs, years later, God revealed himself to Abraham and promised him a nation, many descendants and a blessing that would extend to everyone on the earth. And believing God, Abraham became the father of a great people, the Hebrews who were later known as the Jews. 
God's promises to Abraham were passed down through his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, and all 12 sons of Jacob. From the 12 sons of Jacob descended the 12 tribes of the Hebrew people who make up the nation of Israel. Okay, this is all in the Bible. This is why it's good to read. I, you know, when you're a new Christian, this is the first thing you want to do is begin to read your Bible. Okay, so you can know what happened and what took place and how they dealt with situations back then. And those same situations speak to us now. Okay, now going into Exodus. A famine hit the land of Canaan, the approximate location of modern Israel, where the Hebrews were living and they moved to Egypt to get food. In time, they became a threat to the Egyptian people because they multiplied so rapidly and the Egyptians enslaved the Hebrew people for nearly 400 years. Finally, in response to their cries for deliverance, God raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt back into the promised land of Canaan. <clears throat> and this is a good story. In the book of Exodus, it tells how... Um, God had to basically send um, like plagues. Okay, so read the book of Exodus. You'll find out so much in that book. Okay, kingdom. The Israelites lived in the promised land in a loose governmental system for the next 400 years. Then a monarchy was established and the Hebrews were ruled by kings for the next 400 years. Through the first 120 years of the monarchy, three famous kings each reigned 40 years, Saul, David, and Solomon. Then as a result of civil conflict over taxation, the northern part of the nation ceded from the monarchy and established its own independent kingdom called Israel. The southern kingdom adop adopted the name of Ju Judah after the largest tribe in the southern kingdom. And I believe this uh, that they're speaking of is going to be in First and Second Kings, and I think in First and Second Samuel as well. <clears throat> Exile. Shortly thereafter, Assyria, a nation to the northeast, came and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and scattered many of the Israelites to the four corners of that part of the world. About 100 years later, Babylonia invaded and conquered Judah destroyed Jerusalem and led thousands of people into captivity into Babylonia. Return. About 70 years later, Persia, I think that's how you pronounce it, defeated Babylonia to rule the entire part of the world from the eastern shore of the Mediterranean to India. The king of Persia allowed the Israelites living in captivity in Babylonia to return to Jerusalem, if I can talk right, to rebuild it, 50,000 people returned under the leadership of three men. Okay, this is a unique name. Uh, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Z-E-R-U-B-B-A-B-E-L. Ezra and Nehemiah. They rebuilt the city, rebuilt the temple, and restored public worship of God. They lived that way for the next 400 years. During that time... Persia, Persia, uh, P-E-R-S-I-A, fell to Greece and later Greece to Rome. Rome was ruling that part of the world when Jesus was born and the New Testament began. Okay. So then it goes into God provided a temporary solution for sins. Okay. 
now let's see let's pick out some points in here the prophet samuel said to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams first samuel 15 22 david said in psalms 51 16 through 17 you do not desire sacrifice or else i would give it you do not delight in burnt offering the sacrifices O god are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart these O god you will not despise jesus called the pharisees in the new testament white washed tombs matthew 23 27 because they kept up the proper appearance on the outside but inside were unrepentant. But if one was repentant, then God prescribed sacrifices that he was to offer. These sacrifices, always costly, usually included the death of an animal, which pictured the spiritual death that sin causes. They were, graph they were a graphic reminder of the true cause and consequence of sin. This visual aid helps us to understand what was at stake with, the, with our sin and what it would take in order for us to have our sins forgiven permanently. If we did not want to have to offer animal sacrifices throughout eternity, something had to happen to permanently remove the need. That something was the sacrificial death of Jesus upon which the New Testament focuses. Okay, so that leads us into the New Testament tells the story of Jesus and the church. So Jesus' early life. Jesus, we all know, was born in Bethlehem near Jerusalem um, in keeping up with the Old Testament prophecy. Then after a brief time in Egypt to escape King Herod's attempt to kill him, Jesus and his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, moved back to their hometown in Nazareth in the northern part of the country, just west of the Sea of Galilee. There, with few details from scripture, Jesus lived an apparently normal childhood until he turned 30. At the age of 30, the age that all teachers by Jewish custom began their ministry, Jesus left Nazareth and went to Jerusalem. He began his initial ministry there and in the surrounding area of Judea. Okay, so Jesus' ministry. Shortly afterward, he relocated north to the area around the Sea of Galilee, making Capernaum his home base. Capernaum was located on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Much of his three-year ministry was conducted while he was based at Capernaum through many events did not actually take place in Capernaum but in the surrounding area. Eventually, he returned to Jerusalem. The religious leaders deeply resented his ministry. They were jealous of his intrusion into their territory and resentful of his making them look bad. The nerve, you, the, the nerve. But I like how that says religious leaders because that's something that we as Christians will come to find out that there is a difference between religion and Christianity. But we're not going to talk about that tonight. So crucifixion and resurrection. Their hatred was so intense that they eventually crucified him. Three days later, he rose from the dead, then showed himself to his disciples several times over the next 40 days. With his disciples gathered around him on the Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem, he visibly ascended into heaven. Early Church He had commissioned his disciples to take the new message of salvation through Christ to Jerusalem. 
to Judea and Samaria, the surrounding regions, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The fulfillment of this command focused primarily on the Apostle Paul, who conducted three missionary journeys to surrounding areas in Asia Minor and Greece. Finally, Paul was arrested and taken to Rome, where he eventually died. Enough disciples remained, however, not only in Jerusalem, but also in Asia Minor, Greece, and Rome, that the message not only lived on, but mushroomed into major world religion. God provided a permanent solution for sin, Jesus. The New Testament presents in reality what the Old Testament only pictured. In the Old Testament, people sacrificed lambs to cover their sins temporarily. In the New Testament, the Lamb of God, Jesus, was sacrificed so that all sins could be forgiven permanently. Jesus' death, adequate to take away the sins of the whole world, only affects those who accept his offer of forgiveness, repent of their sins, and follow him. When Jesus said that he had fulfilled the law, he meant that no one he meant that no longer was it necessary to keep sacrificing bulls, goats, and sheep. Now humanity needed only to rely on the great sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. Okay, let me go back and read this again. Okay? Because many people don't know. They haven't heard uh, that this is what you have to do. When you say that you're a Christian, when you say you've given your life back over to God, okay? Okay? It says this, Jesus was sacrificed so that all sins could be forgiven permanently. Jesus' death, adequate to take away the sins of the whole world, only affects those who accept his offer of forgiveness. You have to accept the offer of forgiveness. You have to repent of your sins, okay? Repent. So you have to actually say, yes, I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I've done this. Okay? You have to repent of those sins. You can't just say, oh, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I'm perfect. I'm this. I'm that. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. You have to actually acknowledge your sins. Okay? And then you have to follow him. This is why you have you have to learn his life. Read about what he did. Okay, what did he have his disciples do? What did the disciples do after Jesus left them and he sent their hope, the Holy Spirit to them? What did they do? Okay, he taught them. He trained them. He raised them up. He had to show them. They had to follow him. So we have to follow him. We can't just be making up in our own minds what we're going to do. We can't still follow after the devil and think we're a child of God. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so in conclusion, God is self-sufficient and does not need our gifts or service. Acts 17.25 Why then does he call us to come to him? James Packer answers that question in his book, God Has Spoken. God's purpose in Revelation is to make friends with us. It was to this end that he created us rational beings. 
bearing his image, able to think and hear and speak in love. He wanted there to be genuine personal affection and friendship, two-sided between himself and us, a relation, not like between a man and his dog, but like that of a father to his son or a husband to a wife. Loving friendship between two persons has no that has no ulterior motive in it in, in itself. So he's not looking for anything. Okay, we shouldn't go to him just to receive something. It's like you should want to have a relationship with him. You should want your life to be changed. You should want to be renewed in him. Okay, so so many people go because, you know, people are like, oh, you know, he's going to bless you with this house. He's going to bless you with this car. That should not be a reason for you to go to God. It's not that type of relationship. Okay. Um, let me see. Okay. So at the end of each chapter, it gives us a scripture. So the memorization scripture today is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And the prayer at the end of chapter 10 is this. Dear, dear Lord, thank you that the Bible is a coherent story, that it makes sense. Thank you that you have told us what you are doing in the world and how I fit in. Thank you that you want to make friends with me. Help me to learn your will and do it. Amen. Okay, so going into chapter 11. Chapter 11 is what are the recurring themes in the Bible? The chapter at a glance is we must view the present with an eternity in mind. God disciplines us when we do wrong. Okay? We need to know that. People don't teach that. People don't want to hear about it, but he does. Okay? Good relationships make life rewarding. Number four, God fights our spiritual battles for us. Number five, God sustains us through suffering. And number six, if God has our hearts, he will also have our money. Okay, I don't know what that one is about, but let's uh, go on in here and see what they're talking about. Okay, so where does that start up? Where, 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 where? We must view the present with eternity in mind. Okay, so let's see. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 instructs us to live by remote control. If then... You were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. All the directions, all the commands, all the needful information comes from another place, unseen but real. We live here as those citizens of there. Paul elaborated in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, what is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay. Um... God promises to meet our needs in this life and reward us for all service in the next life. We have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Okay. The Bible teaches us that when we sin, we will be disciplined by God, who uses a discipline to turn us from sin. 
Hebrews 12, 5, 6 tells us, Do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Just as a loving parent does not allow a child to play in the street without disciplining him or her, so does God not allow his children to live in harmful or dangerous ways without disciplining them. He loves his children too much to allow self-destruction behavior and attitudes without trying to correct that behavior or those attitudes. And I'm going to say that's a good thing. Okay? When you are doing something that you know it does not line up with the word of God, with the will of God, why should you not be disciplined? You know, if you know if you well, we're all children, so we have parents. So you're the same thing your parent does. You know, if God is our father, then why shouldn't he not discipline us? Like, why would you want him to turn the cheek and allow us to do whatever we want to do? If we're supposed to be his. Okay, so it's just something to think about. Um, okay. God fights our, fights our spiritual battles for us. Only God can win the battle we are in. Because for us as Christians, all of our life is a spiritual battle. It is as Solomon wrote, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord, Proverbs 21, 31. We see dramatic examples of this in the Old Testament, from the crossing of the Red Sea, in which the Lord destroyed the army of Egypt that was coming to destroy Israel, to the collapse of the walls of Jericho, to the fight between David and Goliath. David, I'm sorry, God wants to fight the spiritual battles for his children. Our battles are not fought against invading armies, but against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Romans 7, 23, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 1 John 5, 19. We are powerless to win against these formidable foes, but God wants to fight for us. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 tells us, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes God allows us to get in such predicaments that on a human level, there is no hope. Then he delivers us to prove to us and, and a watching world that he is faithful and mighty to save. God wants us to understand that we do not have the natural means to emerge victorious from spiritual battle. He is our victory. He is, he is our sufficiency. He wants us to rely on him. Okay. And God sustain us through suffering. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. That's uh, Job's advisor, Ella Faz. I guess that's in Job 5, 6 through, 6 through 7. The name is E-L-I-P-H-A-Z. Some of these names, it's like, yeah, I don't really know how to pronounce them, so I'd rather spell it out for you guys that can pronounce them or want to research them to get better understanding. Okay, so it says, why does life have so much suffering? Yeah, that's who. That's the question I want to have answered. You know, why do we as Christians, why do we have to suffer so much? You know? It's like, yeah, Jesus suffered and, you know, everything. But it's like, why? Why did we have to go through so much? It's like you would think that after some time, like, okay, haven't I suffered enough? Can I get a break? But 
it just keeps on. So let's read in here and see if this book gives us some more insight. Why does life have so much suffering? While the Bible gives some reasons, we do not know the ultimate reason. Oh, Lord. Okay, so they don't even know. <laughs> it is hidden in the mysteries of God and must wait until heaven for the answer. Where is God when it hurts? Jesus of Nazareth came to earth and suffered everything we will ever suffer. Now he is in heaven praying to God for us, and he is with us feeling the same pain we feel. How does God view our suffering? He views it as a normal part of the human experience on earth, promises sufficient grace for it, and, he, and says that in the end all will be well. Okay, Lord, how can we endure suffering by fleeing to the arms of God as Jesus did when he suffered for us? Okay. That's easier said than done because sometimes it's like, okay, come on. When is, you know, when is the suffering going to end? And, you know, it's just, some for some people it's too much, you know, but we have to keep the faith. We have to continue to pray and, you know, and get you some prayer partners, okay? Because what the Bible says, when two or more come together in my name, you know, you've got to have you some like-minded folks around you just you know, yes, you know, we can pray by ourselves, but when we get more people with, you know, like minds and um, truly care about us and want to see us prosper, you have to have some people like that in your life. So I pray that you do. Okay. And this is the one I want to hear about. So it says, if God has our hearts, he will also have our money. Okay, Lord, where the money at? <laughs> From God's perspective, money is a test. God uses money to test where our values are, where our hearts are. If our hearts are fixed on things of this earth, we find ourselves pretty tight with our money. If our values are fixed in heaven, we find ourselves trying to figure, I'm sorry, we find our ways trying to find ways in which we can give money to eternal things. Open heart, open wallet, closed heart, closed wallet. Oh Lord, okay. There is something in money that will satisfy a person. Whenever money satisfies one desire, it creates two or three more desires. Yet money is the one thing that seems to dominate many of us. We think that if we just have a little more, we will be happy. It is a subtle and formidable trap. Like a duped donkey, we trot mindlessly after care of the after the care of happiness we will never catch matthew 6 19 through 21 tells us do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth for where your treasure is there your heart will be also money is a great servant but a terrible master okay <laughs> why they put that part in there i don't know but yeah we have to be mindful of that because some people will get money crazy Okay, and it's sad to say, even in the church, you know, there are some of those, um, oh, I forgot how to say it. There, there are some people um, that, I want to say people, I don't know. Okay, there are some people who will uh, try to get you for everything you got. Okay, they will um, beg and plead for money in the house of God. Okay, so you want to be led by God. You want to be led by the Holy Spirit. If he leads you to give, then okay. But if if it's someone that's um, 
just doing it to fill their own pockets. You just have to be mindful of that. Um, we don't want to be so focused on money that we forget about everything else. Okay. So that is the end of chapter 11. The scripture to memorize is Colossians 3, 1 through 12. I'm sorry, 1 through 2. Um, and the prayer is, Dear Lord, thank you that you have let us know the really important principles that should guide our lives. Help me to keep them in my conscious thoughts as I live my day, and may they make a difference in my life. Amen. Okay, so going into chapter 12. How can we understand the Bible? Chapter at a glance. The Holy Spirit enables us to understand scripture. We must carefully observe what the Bible says. We must use responsible principles of interpretation. We must apply scripture to our lives. Okay, so this chapter should be interesting. Let's see what they got up in here. Okay, the Holy Spirit enables us to understand scripture. Let's see. We read in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man, the non-Christian, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. If a person isn't a Christian, he cannot grasp the spiritual things of the Scripture. He can learn all there is to know about people, places, and events but grasping the spiritual truths behind them and being changed by them is beyond him, okay? And it says like a FM radio trying to pick up TV signals, he has no capacity to receive anything. When a person is born again, he can have a looming ministry of the Holy Spirit to him. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10, we read, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. God reveals things to us through his spirit that we would not know otherwise. This is not the giving of new revelation, but rather the enabling of us to understand what he has already revealed in the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 16, and also 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Ephesians 1, 17 through 18, Ephesians 3, 18 through 19. Such understanding does not always come easily. Proverbs 25, 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Pearls of deeper truth are not often revealed to the careless or ambulant. I hope that is the word. But the Holy Spirit will open the mind of the Christian to the truth of Scripture as that Christian tackles the Scripture seriously. In addition to being spiritually capable of understanding the Bible, we must also exercise personal responsibility if we are to understand the Bible. Effective Bible study involves three steps carried out in a specific order. Okay, so this is something that I did not know when I first became a new believer. I did not know there was a, uh, you know, that you had to be like spiritually sound or, you know, just spiritually um, connected. I, you know, I didn't know any much about the Holy Spirit because that's the thing. People weren't really teaching on the Holy Spirit. It's like, okay, yeah, 
you've given your life to God, you got baptized, they don't go past that. It's like, okay, what else is involved? Like, well, you know, I want to do this thing right. And it's like, I basically had to learn stuff for myself. I had to do a lot of reading. I had to buy a lot of books to find out some stuff, okay? So this book is really good because I, I'm telling you, I wish I'd have found this book when I first became saved because it would have really just saved me some money from buying all them other books. <laughs> this book got everything in here. But let's continue. It says, we must carefully observe what the Bible says, okay? basic questions who is the author to whom is he writing who is he writing about so you know it's like when you study the scripture you want to like study it like the book of exodus who wrote the book of exodus why did they write it you know who are they talking to what was the purpose of them writing it so it has who what where and when so who who is the author to whom is he writing who is he writing about what what happened and, and in what order, what ideas are presented, where, where did this take place? Study with a map and every time a place is mentioned, look it up on the map. Now, I just want to let you know, most Bibles that you buy, okay, they, um, well, study Bibles, they're going to have in the back, they're going to have a, a map of, um, um, like the places that took, you know, in biblical times. Uh, Jerusalem and um, Canaan and all those type places there's actually maps in the book of the Bibles okay um, when when was the letter written and when did the events in the in the text excuse me take place look it up in a Bible dictionary or handbook when do certain things in a letter happen in relationship to, to other events in the letter and just to give you uh, you know a little bit of um, knowledge of the, a Bible dictionary if you have the Bible app, I believe it's Olive Bible app, um, they have Bible dictionaries on that particular app, and I believe some of them are free as well. Okay. Um, moving on, let's see. Oh, why? Why does a particular person do or say something? Why is a particular teaching presented? And how? How are things accomplished? How well? by what method, okay? And then it tells us to, you know, keywords, you know, pick out some keywords. Look for keywords, those words that seem most important for understanding that passage. Repetition of a word, phrase, or clause is often a good clue as to what the author is attempting to communicate. Comparisons show how things are alike. Connectives used to indicate comparisons include also as, even so, just as, so, like, likewise, and too. For example, okay, this is good, so it's going to actually give us an example. For example, in James 3, 3 through 5, the tongue is compared to the bit in a horse's mouth, a ship's rudder in a spark that starts a forest fire, and that all are small but influential. Contrast, contrast. Contrast show how things differ. Sample connectives include although, but, however, much more, nevertheless, and yet. Galatians 5, 19-23 contrasts the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. 
Repetition signals what is important by mentioning words, people, circumstances, events, and other scripture. Volume indicates the importance of something value, the amount of space devoted to a matter. Many other strategies are possible to help a person observe closely the message of the Bible. The key is to read closely and observe the text by these and other strategies that you may learn or know. Okay, that was a lot. And, okay. Um, let's see. I'm only trying to grab out important stuff, so... part is basically just talking about like theology everyone's interpretation of the bible or how we receive it or how we read it or how we understand it is going to be different so that's where theology comes in at um you know it's like based on how we read it and how we interpret it and just our study of it people are going to have varying thoughts um varying i'm varying very I can't talk tonight. Um, just different, different ways of interpreting it and how they receive it and how they, you know, how it reads out to them. I guess that's the best way to say it. <laughs> um, and you will notice that when you hear different people preach, you know, because many pastors, they will preach the same scripture have a different title of the message and their interpretation of that particular passage of scripture will be completely different. You know, so that, you know, it's going to happen. But, um, you still want your basis to be the same, you know, because you don't want to be changing over anything and trying to give it different meaning. So that's why the Bible dictionary comes in. Um, oh yeah, Bible commentaries, uh, gives insight on meaning, you know, from history and culture. Uh, and then, the, this, let me say, I'll share this. It says, consider the word meanings. Each word has a range of meanings, okay? And I, I've noticed that. You could, it could be a simple word, but in the Hebrew or Greek, it's like something totally different. I'm like, okay. For example, the English word trunk may refer to the main stem of a tree, a large piece of luggage, an elephant's nose, a person's torso, or the luggage compartment of an auto automobile. Also, words change meaning over time. The word that in 1611, the King James Version several times translated as conversion, I'm sorry, conversation, is not what we mean by the word today, people talking. Instead, it means manner of life or conduct in today's vocabulary. Wow. We must be sure the words we read in our Bible mean the same thing today. One of the easiest ways of doing this is to compare how different translations of the Bible render a given word. And that's a good point because if you read the King James Version, it's going to have, you know, that's, they say, close to um, how it was really written back in those days. But then if you look at the NIV, the message amplified, it's going to have varying um versions of it the versions are going to vary okay and they're going to change up some words um but those ones are good because you know everybody can't understand king james 
but you still want to try and keep it to where the original content is, you know, coming from, if that makes sense. Okay, where, where was I at? Okay, we must be sure that words we read in our Bible mean the same thing today. One of the easiest ways of doing this is to compare how different translations of the Bible render a given word. Which words merit more detailed study? Words that you don't understand. So the words that you don't understand, that's the ones you want to be studying. If you can't figure out a word, you don't know how to say it, look it up, research it. Get out your Bible dictionaries, Bible commentaries, those will help you. Okay, and it says we must apply scripture to our lives. We apply the Bible by studying it diligently, taking its teachings seriously, and com committing to do all that we understand of what God wants us to do. Okay. In conclusion, oh, these questions are good. Okay, so I didn't share the questions that from the other chapters, but these questions, okay. So let me ask you, what is the biggest obstacle you have personally in studying the Bible? Is it a knowledge or how to do a Bible study or just getting the time? How do you think you can overcome the obstacle more effectively? The second question, what seems to be the most important and helpful principle of interpretation to you and why? Number three, why do you think that, is, that it is possible for people to know the Bible well and yet not apply it to their lives? What accounts for the lack of impact of the knowledge on behavior? What do you think is the biggest obstacle in your own life in applying the Bible? Those are some good questions. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and give you the scripture at the end of the chapter for memorization. 1 Corinthians 2.14 and this is chapter 12, and the prayer at the end of chapter 12 is this. Dear Lord, thank you that you have given me the ability to understand the scripture. Thank you that the Holy Spirit lives within me, illumining my mind, encouraging my heart, and strengthening my will. Help me to become a true disciple of your word. Amen. Okay, so I want to thank you guys for listening. Um... Hope I am helping all you new Christians out there, new disciples, new believers. Um, and this is helping me, you know. Um, it's good to learn um, new things, especially when you want to um, continue your walk in the right way. Um, so we have to um, continue to be teachable, um, trainable. We should always want to learn because we will never know everything. You know, I will never know everything. That's why I have committed myself. I'm telling you, I, I'm committed to be a lifetime learner, you know, because this daily walk is a, um, it's not something that's, you know, you're going to get it overnight. It takes time. So this is a daily thing. Uh, so I hope I'm helping. Um, again, this is a single mom of purpose. This episode is being brought to you by Kingdom Gales Ministries. Um, you can see our website at kingdomgalesministries.com. 
Um, we are on Facebook. We have a Facebook um, group called Kingdom Gales Ministries. Um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. Um, and I just thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, very appreciative. Um, cause this is so much out of my element. So <laughs> and I'm just being obedient and I just, I like helping others. You know, I wish I would have had, um, people that would have helped me in my, um, early days as a Christian. And even now, you know, just, um, finding things to continue to learn myself, you know, um, and just staying on top of things and, um, just wanting to be the best that I can be for the kingdom. Um, so I can continue to do things like this and continue to build other people up and just continue to, um, just be a willing vessel for the kingdom of God. So that is my purpose. That is my passion. Um, so I'm going to continue this and I don't know when I'll be back <laughs> to do another episode I, I was had it on my schedule to con, you know do it every week but you know in life things come up so I am going to just say I will see you guys next time uh, you want to hear my voice shortly um, and I again just want to thank you for listening and when I come back again we'll probably do a couple chapters at a time because this is a very thick book and I want to get into the other books that I have as well. So, um, thank you again. And I will be talking to you guys shortly. I pray everyone is doing well, that this pandemic is, um, uh, that is just, um, giving us a needed time to get our focus back on what really matters. Uh, that's my prayer. So I will talk to you guys soon. Have a good evening.